You know, this first half of the year, pastors, you know, made a focus to uh, get some more folks involved with their children's ministry to get to know the children and be a part of their lives. And not because there's just a vacancy there and we had need, but because it's important to us to know each other and our children. And the children that we're uh, ministering to, um, they not only like it when you're there, they need you there. And as I look around the the church this morning, I see a lot of folks that are missing. Sometimes people are transient, they, they're in and out, but you know, I see a lot of folks who haven't been here for a while. So I wanted to challenge you to kind of look around and see who's missing that, that you know that uh, hasn't been here for a while and reach out to them. Make it personal. Let them know you care about them. And, uh, you know, we don't want to hound people, but just let them know. Sometimes somebody just needs that little nudge and say, hey, somebody cares, and they miss me. So I miss the ones who's not been here, and I don't, uh, it's a shame I don't know everybody personally, but uh, I, I know everybody has a connection in here. So reach out to them. Make it, make it personal. Today's message is called Exploring the Kingdom. And when Pastor called me yesterday, uh, you know, he said that he was going to send Will down. And if, if I wasn't ready, I said, well, you know, I'm supposed to be a minister of God. I'm supposed to be instant in season and out. And, you know, you've got all these different things that you're working on. And we're doing the switch on your brain class here on Sundays. So we've been kind of absorbed in that. But really, uh, the class is about having a right mindset, a kingdom mindset. And when we have the right kingdom mindset, our brain begins to function properly, which causes our body to operate properly. It's just this, this process that God has for us. And so, but sometimes, even as Christian, we kind of get lost in our walk and we can't really get some answers to some things. We don't understand some things. And oftentimes we kind of give up and kind of accept that as our fate, fate or, or just a reality that maybe that's the way things are supposed to be. But the God I serve is all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's all-loving. And he's always there. He hasn't went anywhere. He hasn't changed his mind. He hasn't uh, changed his intentions toward us. So what that tells me is that, you know, I don't think there's a problem on that end. There must be a problem on this end. And, you know, we're walking in the flesh, and we're always going to be dealing with things and pressing through. And one day, we'll see Jesus, and we'll know him as he is, and he will be known as we are, and we'll understand completely. But in the process, I believe God wants to seek him out, continue to grow, and explore the kingdom of God. But we get lost along the way. It kind of reminds me of a little joke. A couple boys come to West Virginia to do some hunting. And they didn't know the territory too good, and they were out all day, and uh, they got lost. And one guy says, well, what are we going to do? And the guy says, well, you know, I read in this manual that if you shoot three times in the air and wait a little bit, the ranger will come by and find you. So we shot three times in the air, and a couple hours went by, and nobody shows up. He said, what do you think? He said, well, do it again. Shoot three more times. So he shot three more times, and... A couple hours, nobody shows up. And finally he said, man, we're getting desperate here. So what are we going to do? And he said, we'll do it one more time. Shoot three more times. He said, man, he said, it better work this time. He said, because I'm almost out of arrows. <laughs> 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 but you know, 
And I, I don't mean to make fun because, you know, I've, I've been, I've been a, a blubbering baby Christian. I've been a Christian who thinks he knows it all. I've been a Christian who's, uh, you know, thinks he's got the answers. And I don't have all the answers. Sometimes I still act like a baby and sometimes I get lost. But I've understood one thing, that God's not going to give up on me. And I'm not going to give up on God. And I have to not give up on me either. Sometimes I get discouraged and I think, you know, uh, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure what to do. So I kind of get lost in my walk. So today I hope, hopefully I just kind of, kind of you know, what I'm going to say today, you already know. I'm just going to kind of remind you of some of the things that God impressed on my heart yesterday to share with you about exploring the kingdom. So sometimes when God seems to not answer a prayer, we may be desperate in a prayer, we may be consistent in a prayer, and it seems like the prayer doesn't get answered. And we begin to rationalize while that prayer isn't being answered. Well, maybe God, maybe God isn't really hearing me. Maybe there's something wrong with me. Maybe I've got sin in my life and I, I'm not worthy and God's not hearing me. And we begin to rationalize the way the answer to our prayer. And God answers our prayers. He, he hears our prayers every time. But sometimes we don't see the answer because we're praying for something in a certain particular way. So when we pray, we should always ask God, okay, now, Lord, show me, show me, the, show me the answer. I know you've sent the answer. The answer's already there. The answer didn't just come. It was already there. He just wants you to understand it and become aware that the answer's with you already because God didn't go anywhere. He doesn't come in and out of our lives. He's constant. So uh, I put some slides together to kind of keep me on track today because I tend to chase some rabbits once in a while. So just bear with me because I might chase a, a few rabbits in the meantime, but I want to uh, share this with you today. First off, I think sometimes we misunderstand what the kingdom of God is. And uh, if we don't understand what the kingdom of God is, we don't know how to operate in the kingdom. And if we don't know what the kingdom of God is, sometimes we don't know who we are in the kingdom of God. So I just kind of want to share some scriptures. You, you look these up, and I, I hope that I trigger something in you to get you to dig a little deeper yourself. You know, I can't teach you everything that I know today in, in one hour. Besides, you probably know more than I do anyway. But I want you to dig into the Word of God and, and, and get into the Word of God and discover more about the kingdom of God. Now, when we think about the Old Testament and the New Testament, the Old Testament was a, uh, a story and history of God working through his people. And a lot of things that happened in the Old Testament were physical. And we can go back there and say, well, God must have been angry. He must have been mad. Had all these things happen. And, and he was kind of hard on Israel. And Israel was kind of rebellious. But it's a story, really, of how we still act sometimes personally with God. The nation of Israel uh, was named Israel. And Israel means uh, son. God had changed Jacob's name to Israel, and he, made, he, he declared him a son. So the whole nation of Israel was kind of thought of as one person. Well, that's the same way with the body of Christ. We're one. We're, we're, and I'll, I'll talk about that in a minute. We're, we're all one. Individual expressions of God, but collectively one. God expresses himself through each one of us in a unique way, and that's 
that's part of the mystery, but how God can be in each one of us and be still one. There's only one God, one people, one son, and that son is Jesus Christ, but we're in Christ, so we're sons and daughters of God. So the, and first off, uh, let's think about the kingdom of God as number one, it's, it's eternal. In Psalms 145, 13, he said, your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. So it's everlasting. It's always been and always will be. And as we grow in Christ, we become more aware of who we are in this kingdom and that it's always been. And then we just start to learn how we fit. So maybe we understood what the kingdom of God is uh, about what it looks like. So number two, the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy. Romans 14, 17. So when we, I think I went too far here. We got it. Thank you. I got a little slow with the clicker, didn't I? Trying some new technology here. Well, it's not new technology. It's new to me. Trying this clicker here so I can try to stay on track. I'm already off track. But the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy. Romans 14, 17 says, For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. And that's the old King James Version. New King James says basically the same thing. Well, guess what? I think I'm going to have to rely on you, buddy. Number three, it's God's domain. So if it's God's domain, he owns it. Psalms 103, 19 says, The Lord has established his throne in heavens, and his sovereignty rules over all. So it's his domain, so that means he owns it. Go to the next slide, dear. So who owns it? God the Father. In Matthew 6, 13, he says, For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And that's how Jesus told us to pray. That's the, the last part of the Lord's prayer. So he's praying to the Father. The kingdom belongs to him. But there's also someone else. Jesus, the Son. It's his kingdom too. So if it's God the Father's kingdom and then it's the Son's kingdom, so there must be some unity there in there. So Colossians 1.13 says the he has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. So the Father has conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son. Next slide, Richard. Whoops. Back one. So it also belonged to someone else, God's children. In Daniel 7.27... It says, then the sovereignty, the dominion, and the greatness of all the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be given to the people of the saints of the highest one. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all the dominions will serve and obey him. So we see who, the, who, who owns the kingdom. The Father, the Son, and his children. It's us. So if, we, if the kingdom of God belongs to us, don't you think we should really kind of really ask the Lord, how do we operate in it? How do we run the kingdom? What is the kingdom? Where is the kingdom? We need to ask these questions and, and, and get some answers to it so we can operate the way God wants us to. So maybe we understood where the kingdom of God is. It's, it's at hand. It's within you, and it's wherever God is. 
So let me ask you this. Is, is, is there any place that God isn't? He's omnipresent. He's at all places at all times. His power is always available. It's, it's always at hand. The kingdom of God is at hand. So when we understand I don't have to get there, it is. I just have to be aware of it. So if that means I'm in the kingdom, maybe we need to understand who I am, who you are. Who, who are we? First, you must know who you're not. And I want to share some things that the world tells us. And oftentimes, even in the church world, we get caught up in this. So I, I want, I want, the, the enemy is very subtle. Because we live in a flesh and we have a mind, and it's not been perfected yet. Sometimes we rely too much on our mind and what we feel and see and taste and touch and those around us, and we listen to the, to the lies of the enemy, and sometimes from even well-intentioned people. I'm a coach, and I'm a trainer, so a lot of times I'll be teaching people methods or giving them a system to help improve their lives in certain different parts of their life. And if I'm not careful, sometimes I can get too hung up on the methods and the system to help someone build their self-esteem, to make them feel better about themselves. And, I, and, 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 and you can lead them right back into the trap that the enemy wants you to. So I have to understand it's spiritual first. I have to know who I am first. I have to know what I'm capable of first. I have to know how I'm designed first before I go off and do these things. Because if not, I get caught up in these lies. First, you're not defined by what you have. So if you're rich or if you're poor, it makes no difference. Those are just things. We were born naked and we're going to go out of here naked. And I delivered a, 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 a funeral message the other day. And before I left, the Lord impressed me to, to share a little poem. And I'm, I'm sure you've probably heard of the, of the dash. And basically a man comes to deliver a funeral uh, in the poem. I can't remember the poem verbatim. But the point of the poem was this, that we were born a certain year, we came into the world a certain year, and we leave a certain year. And oftentimes that's on our tombstone or on our, on our plaque. And when a stranger walks by, and I had walked through the graveyard, and I saw several of them, 1800s, 1900s, some of them were recent. And some of them lived two or three years, and some of them lived 70 or 80 years. But what was in between was that little dash. And you think, what does that little dash represent? Because the world determines who we are by what that little dash says about us, how we lived our lives. And oftentimes, uh, because we didn't measure up to what others thought of us, uh, some people label that dash in a certain way. Matter of fact, you know, I heard some folks talking through the graveyard, and, and you know, it's... I was kind of in this observation mode, so I wasn't making any judgments at the time, but I heard someone say, well, this was a good person. They were, they were good, good folks. Well, where's the bad corner? That's where all the drug addicts and the outlaws were at. And I thought, man, I wonder how they felt about themselves while they were living, that label that we put on people. This person 
had a business and they'd done really well. They were successful. And these folks didn't have two pennies to rub together. So those kind of statements were going on. And I thought, man, these people are dead and they're still doing that. And we do that to people today. We put labels on people. But that does not define who you truly are. That's what the world says you are. You're much more than that. So if you don't have two pennies to rub together, if you've got $2 million to rub together, it really doesn't define who you are. The second lie that the enemy tells us is that you are not, well, he, first off, we're not defined by what you do or what you accomplish. So if that was true, then someone with a handicap is less valuable than someone who's super talented. We do that. If I, I mean, let, let me illustrate. When I was in school, uh, my parents sent me about a year later than most of the kids because I was waiting on my little brother. He's 11 months younger than me. We lived in the city, so they wanted us to kind of walk to school together because it was a good little walk. So I was a little advanced above my brother, and, and when we got in class, they separated us because all we would do is fight. And they put him in the in the the remedial class. They put me in an advanced class because I was older. So I had the advantage of getting a better education. So growing up, uh, they called me Junior. Junior was the smart one. Randy, he's, he's a good kid. He gets C's. So the whole time he grew up, he grew up under the shadow of my A's and B's where he struggled to make his C's the expectations were higher for me. They were less for him. And it, was, it wasn't until he was about 17 years old that he snapped out of that. And he went on to have a very successful career in, in fast food retail. He, he was a regional manager, over about, regional manager over about 15 stores. And at that time, I was still a grocery clerk in a store. So... For years, he lived under this label of uh, just get by. But he found someone who believed in him, that knew he was intelligent, knew he was sharp, invested in him, and helped him succeed because he didn't see the label that he'd been living under for 17 or 18 years. So everybody has value, but it's not based according to what you can or cannot do. The third lie is you're not identified by what other people think of you. And let me see if I can get this quote right. But this guy, he said, really what we think is we, we are what I think other pe people think I am. And that's how we operate. But we are not what other people think of us. Matter of fact, it should be my business to not make it my business what other people think of me. If I do, I'm always going to be modifying my behavior to either please or displease people. And I want to do that, I've lost my way in the kingdom because that's not who I am. I have to know who I am. I have to have, have the Father show me who I truly am and walk in my lane and be all that I can be with assistance from other people, but not under the influence of the opinion, opinions of other people. Very deceptive 
trick the enemy does to us. And I still deal with that. Caught myself this morning thinking, man, I, I wonder what they're going to think about this PowerPoint. What the, you know, and I had to just catch myself. I had to become aware of that. You know, just get up there and do what God tells you to do and relax. Be you. Don't try to be the pastor. Don't try to present this way. Just be you. But I have to continually remind myself of that. If not, I get nervous and I get a little anxious. But I've learned that that nervousness and that anxiousness is coming from somewhere. And when I start to identify the feeling, then I can identify the thought. And then I realize I'm worried about what other people are going to think about what I'm going to say. But after I realized that and I, I gave that to God, I relaxed. Because I know that God sent me here this morning. He didn't just place me up here for any reason. And it's not about me. It's about what he's asked me to do with my life. And that's to build up the body of Christ. The fourth lie. You're not defined by being separate from everyone else. So, and, and I believe this, that each one of us are unique. We have a unique set of talents, gifts, abilities, desires. We're all different for a reason. God expresses himself on this earth through 8 billion people, believe it or not. The 8 billion people that's alive on this planet have God's breath in them right now. Now, they might not be aware of it. They might not have accepted Jesus Christ. They might be existing, just surviving. They might be eating out of a trash dump over in some third world country. Or they might be uh, battling uh, the virus over in China. They're still God's people. We're all one. So we're not separate, even though we are different and uniquely. That's, that's the great thing about God. He expresses himself through creation. He expresses himself through everything. And we start to understand that God is, and I'm one with him. We're all the same, even though we express ourselves differently. We are one because God is one. And everything comes from God. The next lie is that you are, number five, there we go, oops, it worked that time. It says that you are separated from what you need in life. So if God is at all places at all times, and if God has what I need, then why do I stress over having what I need? Now Jesus told us this, and, and I'm probably going to get ahead of my slides here, but we worry about not having things. And worry is the opposite of faith, and we've heard that, you know, a million times, but what does that really mean? Well, I worry because I don't understand that the spirit realm is all around us. God is all around us, and he's in us. And if I'm not aware of that, then I begin to worry about lack and, and needing things. Jesus... Walked as a man on the earth. He was totally man on the earth. He submitted himself to the Father. So he gave us the, 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 the model for trusting God for, for provision. One time, Jesus and one of the disciples, I can't remember which one it was, were getting ready to go to this temple and they had to pay a temple tax. And undoubtedly, they didn't have Judas, the change carrier, with them, the money carrier. And he said, what are we going to do? So should we pay? 
And, and Jesus said, well, the sons of the kingdom own the kingdom, but for basically for sake of tradition, we're going to pay. He said, so go down and catch this fish. It's got a gold coin in its mouth. Well, how do he know that? He's walking as a man. He's walking as a man. It was because he was so connected to his father, he understood that it would be there. It'd be there when he got there. God wants us to walk that way. And we think in our carnal minds, our fleshly minds, how do you do that? It's a connection with the Father. We've got to spend time with the Father first. Ask the Father, show me, Lord, show me how. When Jesus walked the earth, he went about doing miracles and doing things, but when he was doing this, he was busy the whole time. From what I can understand, his whole ministry for three and a half years, he was busy ministering. Except for the times when he'd separate himself and go be with his father. So he would go to his father, he'd be ministered to, and then he would come back and then he would minister. So we have to be ministered to by the father so that we can minister. So when the father, when we spend time with that, our, our spirit grows. And then our mind begins to operate right. And then our body does what it needs to do. But if I'm always reaching and trying to do things and trying this new diet and this new fad or trying to attempt this to make things better for myself, I'm really not operating in the kingdom. The kingdom of God is spiritual. And provision comes from the spiritual. It just shows up. The six lies that you are separated from God. And that's, we know by scripture that that's not so. He said, I'll always be with you. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. So when God takes up residence in us, he doesn't leave us, but sometimes we think he does because we've separated ourselves in our mind. We think wrong. So we have to understand how to think in the kingdom. So who are you in the kingdom? Go ahead and go to the next one, Richard. First off, you're the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And we've heard that scripture. But how long, how many of us have really sat down and meditated on that scripture, what that meant? Really thought that through and, be, and let the Holy Spirit reveal to us. what We become the righteousness of God. Jesus was the righteousness of God. He's the wisdom and knowledge of God. And he came and became sin. So that I might become the righteousness of God. So if Jesus before everything and after thing is, is the righteousness of God, what does that really mean? What does that really mean? So we have to think and meditate on that. When we do, we re redirect our mind and our thoughts back to the Father. and We begin to, to understand more about who we truly are. Secondly, secondly, we are spirit, soul, and body. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit soul and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our lord jesus christ so what is spirit soul and body have you really thought about what that really means i i, I think about it all the time and i still don't understand it completely but i'm on a journey and i begin to understand a little bit a little bit more about what that means spirit is eternal Spirit is all-powerful. Spirit is life. So if I am spirit and I'm soul, 
and I live in a body, what does that actually mean? Which way should I function? We function too many times when we have a physical problem to try to go fix the physical problem with a physical means when I need to go to my father and let him reveal to me how he's going to fix that. I'm going to call out Andrew here in a minute, or for, for a minute, and Susan and Judy. You know that for years I, I, I preached a, a healing message, and uh, for the past you know, two or three years, well, I had a stroke back two years ago, and it was a, a, a shock and a setback. And I had received divine healing in my back about 20-some years ago, so I knew God was a healer. And it wasn't, it wasn't one of those, I wonder if it got healed or not. I got healed. I couldn't touch my toes for two years and got prayed for as a sinner, and God healed my back miraculously. I haven't had a problem with it since. So when I had the stroke, there was this series of things went on, and, and uh, blood pressure was high. I began to have trouble with my feet and my legs walking. And the whole time... I was being dis discouraged to preach to other people about God's a healer because I'm looking at my physical conditions. I'm thinking, man, nobody's going to believe this message I'm preaching. And then I, I go through this process, well, God, you know, am I supposed to preach this? I, I don't believe that thorn in the flesh was a physical thing with Paul. I, I know that you heal. You're, you're the same yesterday, day, today, and tomorrow. Why am I going through this? So he's processing, I'm processing this through my mind. And one day, uh, Terry and I had been talking about, you know, getting prayer. My pride had it kept me from going and asking for prayer. I saw myself as the minister, and I should be praying for people, but I was really too prideful to go humble myself and tell somebody, man, I got a problem. I, I need prayer. So, I will go to Andrew one night over in the healing room, and I, I just kind of told him, I said, I've got some issues going on. I know it's not supposed to be this way. Uh, will you pray with me? Because I, I know that you believe in healing. And he prayed. The next week, uh, I hadn't told anybody. Uh, Susan and Judy caught me outside the door, and they stopped and prayed for me right then. I'd already begun to sense something in the spiritual realm going on after I talked to Andrew, but then they prayed. And then over a period of time, I realized uh, the Lord had impressed upon my heart to change my diet. As I began to change my diet, I began to see even more uh, results of good health. So the point is this. It started in the spirit. And then it worked out through the flesh. Okay? Instead of going on a diet and asking God to bless my diet, I went to God and asked him what I needed to do. And then it just began to happen. I didn't, I didn't have to suffer on a diet. I just thought, you know, I, I don't think I want that anymore. He began to take the desires away from overeating and these unhealthy foods. So it started there. That's how God wants us to operate. Go to him first. Ask him. He knows you've got the problem. And it's, like he's not, it's not like he's blind. He doesn't know. He just wants us to humble ourselves and come to him and say, hey, Lord, I, I, I need this in my body. But I also had confidence and faith that I needed health because I need to preach for the next 50 years or 60 or however long. I got a job to do. I got a purpose. 
And I need the things that Jesus said that he would provide for me if I would seek the kingdom first. So let me, I'm, just, I'm, I'm, going to, I'm off course here. I'm going to chase that rabbit a little bit. But, you know, I don't know anybody's heart in here. And I promise you, you probably don't know your own heart as well as you think you do. I challenge you to go to the Father and ask him, are you on track? Am I seeking the kingdom of God? You may be a baseball coach. That might be what God called you to do, to go minister to those boys, and you'd be on track. If that's where God's called you to be, then he's promised you he provides you everything you need for it, health, resources, everything. Trust him. He's called you to be a doctor and a lawyer. He's going to provide for you everything you need if you're on track. Trust that. Trust him for provision. But make sure you're on track. If you're off track, our faith won't work. So the third thing we are, we are kings and priests. Revelations 5, 9 through 10 says, Out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, This, I left part of the scripture out, but he's called us out of every tribe and tongue and people and, and nation, that's us, and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. So if we're going to reign on the earth, we might as well practice now, hadn't we? We might as well get in, 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 uh, in game mode because we got a job to do, whether it's today, tomorrow, 10 years from now, or 100 years from now. We're going to have jobs to do. All right, so number four, you're known and loved. And this is critical to know that God's love is not going to change for us. I don't care how bad you mess up. His love can never waver. It's always constant. So when we mess up, sometimes we think God's mad at us or he's angry at us or he doesn't love us. And what we do is we kind of turn from him a little bit, just like a little kid, and we start going this way. Next thing you know, we're down here doing some other stuff. And he's never told you he was mad at you because his wrath was satisfied in his son, Jesus Christ. The anger that he had towards sin wasn't anger toward a man. It was anger at the sin because he knows sin destroys. So Jesus didn't just become a sinner on the cross. He became sin. God punished sin once and for all. So he's not angry with us when we're sin. He's grieved for us when we sin. He wants us to be free from it. So, understand that we're always known and loved. Galatians 1.15 says, but when, he, but when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace. So, before we were ever born, God loved us. Before we were ever born, God had a purpose for us. And some may say, well, not me. I'm not a preacher. I'm not a teacher. I'm not a minister. Everyone in this room is a minister. Everyone in this room is a minister. We are ministers in the kingdom of God. And you may minister in a school system. You may minister at work. You may minister as an entrepreneur. You are a minister on this earth. And you have to start seeing yourself as that minister. That doesn't mean you quit doing your job and go preach. And some people do that. If God calls you to do that, that's okay, but make sure God's called you to do that. Because there's a whole world around you that needs ministered to. Everywhere you set your foot is a place to minister. So know that you're loved, 
And number five, that you're cherished and loved. And Ephesians 2, 4 through 6 says, but, when God, but God loves us deeply. He is full of mercy. So he gave us the new, the new life because of what Christ has done. He gave us life even when we were dead in sin. God's grace has saved you. God raised us up with Christ. He has seated us with him in, heavenly, in the heavenly kingdom. That's because we belong to Christ Jesus. So he's cherished us, he's loved us, and he's raised us up. What does that mean? Number six, we're redeemed from the curse. We're reconciled back to God and restored to our rightful place. We are seated with Christ. And you can look these verses of Scripture up in Isaiah 44:22. It says we're redeemed. He promised us he was going to redeem us. 2 Corinthians 5, 19 through 20 says that we are reconciled. It said that God was in Christ reconciling the world back to himself. So God's not angry at the world. He wants everybody in the world reconciled back to himself. So that's our job now as reconcilers, bringing people back into the kingdom of God. Not into a religious system, but into God's kingdom. And that kingdom is ruled and reigned by love, acceptance, and forgiveness. Lamentations 5.21 says that we're restored back to God. And Ephesians 1.21 says we're seated with Christ. Now, how do I enter and explore the kingdom? First off, I've got to repent. And we've used that word repent as I've got to feel shame, I've got to feel remorse, I've got to feel guilty for what I've done. I can confess everything I ever did. No, repent means just change. Change your mind. It's a paradigm shift. I've got to stop thinking about God and myself the way I've been thinking. I've got to understand that, yeah, I was in this condition, but I accept Jesus Christ, and I'm no longer this person anymore. Repent and come back to God. That's all he wants. So the second thing we need to do is we need to seek it. Truth, we don't stumble across truth. We stumble across little nuggets sometimes, but truth has to be sought. God said that he resists the proud, but he's close to the humble. So being humble and meek is not being somebody weak and crawling around. Humble and meek is saying, you know, I need God. I need God. I know my place in God. God's above me. And he's truth. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And I have to seek after truth. So we don't just happen to find truth. Uh, truth found us, and we have to seek it. All right, number three, we've got to be meek and humble. We've got to let go of our opinions and our self-limiting beliefs. I think it was uh, Jim Carrey said, uh, to, to know truth, hold no opinion. That's a powerful statement. To know truth, hold no opinion. Everyone in here is holding opinions that are holding you back in some areas of your life, whether it's relationally, financially, spiritually. That's why religion has such a stronghold on people. And I've shared this before. There are 33,200 different Christian denominations. Now, why do you think that is? Everybody's got an opinion about the way we should do things. And you think, well, that's not a bad thing. Well, I don't think it's that good of a thing either. Because there's only one truth. There's only one God. There's only one, one faith. And there's only one people. But our opinions separate us from other people. Now, if we have an opinion, sometimes it's better just to hold the opinion until God changes it. But I've realized something myself, and I'm still working on this, 
that if I have to tell you what my opinion is, more than likely, I don't, I'm not really, I'm not sure I even believe that opinion. I'm try, still trying to convince myself of that opinion. And I love our Bible studies when Rob and Rodney and different ones are in there. We have conversation about different ideas and different perspectives. Now, we can all have perspective. We should have perspective, but that perspective should always be enlarging and changing. But we have conversation in the Bible study that I couldn't have had 20 years ago. Because some of the things we say and talk about in that Bible study would have just set me off because I had my opinions. I was holding to them. And if you said something to cross my opinion, then I saw that as an attack on me. So hold no opinion. Hold a perspective and allow God to change it. But we don't have to hold an opinion. All right, number four, look up. We look to God, who's the source. He is life. And with science and faith coming to a, a crossroads in, our, in this age, we're living in a marvelous, marvelous time. Now, we look around and say, we got all this bad stuff going on. I know it's there. I'm not denying that. But we're coming into an age when God's beginning to reveal things to the body of Christ. And he's using Christian scientists and different ones to bring it together. And I shared this morning that I, I was listening to this one speaker, he said, you know, for hundreds of years, religion held people in darkness. And for 150 years or better, science kept people off balance. But now Christian scientists are coming together and realize that faith is real, God is real. And science is the study of God's creation. And they're looking at it through a different lens and perspective. So who's going to be the beneficiary of that? It's going to be the body of Christ. That's what we're talking about in this switch on your brain class. God's revealing some wonderful things about how the mind works, how the brain works, and how we can operate in a physical world according to God's plan. So look up and then go within. Go inside your thought life. Discover and develop and grow into your higher self. Now, if I said that before that your spirit, soul, and body, our spirit is our higher self. That's the real you. And when I say you are perfect, every one of you in this room, if you know Jesus Christ, you're perfect, it's because I'm talking about you spiritually. The soul or the mind, which is our will and our emotions, hasn't caught up with that yet. And that's why we've got to continue to renew our minds. John 3, uh, 3 John 2 says that I would that you would prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. Paul talked about renewing your mind daily. Don't be transformed. Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So the mind's a big deal in the New Testament. So renewing that according to the Spirit and knowing who God really is, His nature, knowing who we are and who He's designed us to be, causes us to look at things differently. We look at it from a higher plane. And then we can kind of look back on our physical lives and understand what some of the problems are. So be spiritual first, and that doesn't mean getting alone in a cave or in a dark place and meditating for six months or reading your Bible religiously just, just to memorize it. I'm talking about be spiritual. Get connected with the Father. Sit in his presence and let him speak to you. And sometimes I'll say, well, God told me something. I used to say that, and people used to look at me like, man, are you, you're crazy. Did you hear a voice? You can't explain it. And, you know, you, you know yourself that when God speaks to you, you know he spoke to you. But how do you know he spoke to you? How do you know it's not your ego or your, your flesh or 
the enemy talking to you. Well, you've got to know what the Word of God says about it. Because God's not going to say anything different than what His Word of God says. He's not going to cause confusion. So it's important to us to know what the Word of God is. Sometimes we can take one verse of Scripture and chew on it for a week. And it's amazing what the Spirit of God will reveal to you through that Scripture in your life. Number six, be willing to renew your mind. Be perfected in love. Where are we at on time? I haven't. 1045, okay. Be willing to renew your mind and be perfected in love. Because that's the whole purpose of the kingdom of God. He's changing us into the image of his son. And who was Jesus? He was love, wasn't he? He laid down his life that we can have abundant life. Abundant life. Joy and peace. So renew your mind to uh, be perfected in love. Not so you can have and attain. Now, it's real easy to get caught up in the enemy's trap. I need to renew my mind so I can attain this or, or do this for my own life. And I've done that. I've, I've, I wanted to improve in a certain area of my life. And it's okay. But my motive was to get better at this. And then I have to question my motive. Why do I want to get better in this? Is it so I can feel better about myself or is it because that's God's desire for me and I trust him with that and he's going to use it to help other people with? So whatever we do in the kingdom of God should be to please the Father and to serve the body of Christ in some capacity. All right. So we have to, number seven, we have to face and conquer our fears. So those fears are learned fears. You weren't born with fears. They were learned. Now, your mother may have been carrying you in the womb, and your mother been, may have been under a lot of stress and anxiety, and a lot of that fear might have been transferred to you. But fear is not a natural state of being for a child of God. And I love what uh, Dr. Caroline Leaf opens up with her teaching. She says, you've been given love, power, and a sound mind. We're not wired for fear. Matter of fact, about 98.5% of our body is not designed to handle fear. So when fear comes in, it causes a lot of physical problems. So we have to conquer fear, and we conquer fear with, by what's already been done in Jesus Christ. We go back to what happened, what he did, and put our faith and trust in that finished work and begin to operate through that truth, through that lens. So what I'm dealing with right now has already been satisfied through Jesus Christ. And I've got to renew my mind in that. I've got to go back and find out, how did he do this? As a matter of fact, one of the things that God revealed to me years ago about work. And I used to think, you know, God kicked Adam and Eve out of the garden. He says, now by the sweat of your brow, you're going to earn your, your keep. And I thought, well, you know, Jesus paid the curse. How did he pay for that? And then I go back and said, you know, why did, later on I thought, well, why did they ram this crown of thorns on his head and pierce his brow? Well, the blood was shed for work. He thought, well, does that mean I don't have to work? No, he removed the curse from work. If I'm working because I think I have to or because I'm under stress or duress, I'm operating under the wrong mindset. If I'm not operating in the gifts and the talents and that's not being expressed through my work and what I do for other people, I'm forcing it. I'm just getting by. 
But when you find out who you truly are in Christ, when you find out what your talents are, what your abilities are, what your heart is, and you begin to pursue that, you're going inside the kingdom because God lives on the inside of you and he's placed those in you. And it's like that pearl you got to uncover. you got to know who you are. And when you begin to operate that way and you begin to find that and you begin to plug into it, whether at work or in some type of ministry, and you begin to use those talents and gifts, your life comes back. And the curse is off of your work. You enjoy what you're doing. When you get up in the morning and you don't dread going to work and you get home at night and you just, you're so glad that's behind you, maybe we're still operating under the curse mindset. Maybe we need to shift our mind and look at work as not as a curse but a blessing. Because Adam worked in the garden before he got kicked out. He had dominion over everything, didn't he? He named the animals. He named the plants. He, he, he tended the garden. So are we tending the garden? And what is our garden? It's our mind. When we tend the garden, we're tending God's garden. The mind is the greatest thing in creation. Next to God, it's the greatest thing in the universe. It's limitless. It has un unbelievable potential. The mind is the greatest thing in the universe. Now, what are we doing with ours? Are we tending it? Are we nurturing it? Are we developing it? Are we planting good seed in? Are we picking out the weeds when we see them? Are we tilling the ground? The mind is the Garden of Eden. All right. So where do I start with? I start with my thought life. First off, we, gotta, we, 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 can, we can all do this. Before we start into renewing our mind and reading scripture and, and going on this journey, there's one thing we can all do. We can start with practicing gratitude. Everybody in this room, no matter how bad the situation might be today, you can count at least five things that you're thankful for. At least five. And when you sit in God's presence and you just think about those five things, well, you know, I, I, can, I can begin to thank God. Well, thank you, Lord, for food this morning. Thank you, Lord, for this meal. No, I'm talking about sitting in God's presence and saying, Lord, uh, thank you. Thank you. And when we begin to thank God for those things, more things come into my awareness that I can be thankful for. And more. And I remember someone asked me to do an exercise one time. said, just sit down and write 100 things you're thankful for. And I thought of 73. I can't think of any more. But the next time I went back to it, and I thought, well, the next day I thought, well, I left that off the list, and I left that off the list. I started a progression of, of my mind of being thankful, looking for things to be thankful for. Now, I can, be, I can go the opposite way and start thinking about the things that are bad. And if I start thinking about those things that are bad, the next day I get up, I'm going to think of some more things that are bad. So take control of your thought life and start with gratitude. Do that today. Write down five things and then look at it tomorrow and see if it doesn't grow and expand. Don't go the other way. Don't write down five things you're not happy for. So Paul talked about starting in our thought life. Uh, in 2 Corinthians 10, 5, he says, this, this is what we need to do with our thoughts. And we have 60 to 70,000 thoughts that run through our mind every day. And there's no way we can be aware of every thought that goes through. The conscious mind 
which is our cognitive reasoning mind, which we're awake, when we're awake, is always processing information through five senses. And about 80% of that is through our sight. Okay, but we have smell, taste, touch, all those different ones that we're processing information. Your brain's working. And whether you realize it or not, your subconscious mind is in the back processing that based off of what you already associated with that before. For instance, if I told you this Bible was white, you'd say you're crazy. But because we know that's a brown Bible, by, based off what we learned in the past, when I see something brown, the mind automatically, it doesn't, I don't talk about it, so, oh, that's a brown thing, that's a brown thing. But the subconscious mind is processing it and filing that. So if I told you it really was white, and I could prove to you scientifically it was white, that would shake up your paradigm and it would cause you to be uncomfortable and the mind would go into a little bit of chaos trying to reprocess that. But because our thought life is always running on automatic and we are taking in conscious information, there are times that we have to be aware of our feelings. Our feelings are the indicator of thoughts running around in the background of our mind. So if I'm feeling anxious... I have to stop and think, why am I feeling anxious? Because our feelings are not betraying us. Our thoughts are betraying us. Because the thought created the feeling. And a previous thought that's been programmed in is going to continue to bring that feeling up. So examine that thought when that feeling comes up. If you feel angry, why am I feeling angry? Why am I feeling angry? Bring that thought up. Chew on it, meditate on it, ask God, reveal it to me. So that's exploring the kingdom of God is going inside your thought life. Go inside your thought life because that's what's keeping the wheel going, the hamster wheel that we get stuck on. Examine those thoughts. So when he's saying bring down, bring that thought up, examine it, compare it to what the word of God says. So if, if you feel inadequate, if you feel nervous and you feel like uh, you're less or someone's not going to uh, accept you, or they might reject you. And you, you, you know we've all had that feeling. Just describe one this morning. It's natural. It's not it's supposed to be natural, but that's the way we operate. So if I'm having this feeling, ask the Holy Spirit, where's that thought coming from? And bring it up. And then compare it to the Word of God. But if you don't have the Word of God in there, you don't have much to compare it to. That's why putting the Word in is so important. Compare it. And then it says, every vain imagination. Our imagination is running constantly. We imagine scenarios that are possible scenarios. And if we have thoughts implanted in, in, in us that shouldn't be there, then those imaginations become vain. They are not what God said we are. So if we know what God says who we are, then I have to compare that and say, you know, that's not who I am. I cast that down. I'm not going to entertain that thought anymore. When we entertain a thought, it begins to grow. And pretty soon we let enough of those grow, uh, they become entrenched in our way of life, and we want to let them go. So let's talk about having our prayers answered just for a minute before we close. We started out with why we don't see our prayers, we don't seem to see, have our prayers answered. First off, James, and I didn't put this scripture in there, James talks about, uh, he said, talking about prayers, he said, you have not because you ask not. And when you do ask, you ask amiss. 
randomly or uh, not consistently. And then he went on to call some Christians. He said, some of, he said you're murderers and adulterers. And I think, wow, man, that's some pretty harsh terminology for some Christians. But what he was really saying was, you're asking it so that you can consume it on your lust. So when I ask God to fix my bank account, why am I asking him to fix my bank account? So I can be cushy and cozy? Or is it because I should be responsible with my money? I should be building the kingdom of God with it, taking care of my family with it, and, uh, and taking uh, ground on the earth for the kingdom of God? Or is it because I want to get, get this relief or if I want that new car? Nothing wrong with having a new car. That's not the point. He said, examine your motives, basically, about why you're asking for that prayer. What do you want it for? Don't ask amiss. Be specific about what you're asking for and have a reason. But check the motive behind it. He also said that, in the first chapter, he said that a double-minded person gets nothing from God. And when we ask God for healing or a blessing or something in our life or help in our life and we ask for that prayer and we're sincere when we ask that prayer and we're desperate when we ask that, answer, ask that prayer and then I get up and the enemy begins to cause me to doubt that prayer and then I start to talk something that's not consistent with that prayer that that prayer might not be answered I start to rationalize why that prayer isn't going to be answered I might as well just throw that prayer out if I pray, I've got to pray in faith, believing. Jesus said, if you ask and pray and, and pray and believe that you have received it, then you shall have it. So I have to believe that I have received it already. In the spiritual realm, it's coming. Believe you have received it. So there's a process for prayer. I have to understand it has to be specific. I have to check my motive, and I have to believe it will be answered. Or what's the point? of talking to our Heavenly Father if he's not going to answer our prayer. He's not the lottery God. He doesn't push a button and it's his turn or her turn. God is. He is love. He's all-knowing. And he's always available. He never changes. We have to understand there's a process, and I have to understand how to operate in the kingdom. So, secondly, I have to remain a resident. Stay in the kingdom. I used to be fascinated by the passage of Scripture and Revelation talking about you know, people entering into the kingdom and in and out. And I thought, what does that mean? It can't be talking about heaven because sinners can't get into heaven. But he's not really talking about heaven there. He's talking about the kingdom. That sometimes we come in faith and we're, we're doing great. And then we, we're back out. We're not operating now. We come back. We're just, we're walking in his flesh and we're just in and out of the kingdom. And another passage that Jesus talked about, he said that, that, They'll come from the east and the west and the north and the south. And they'll come to sit down with the sons of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob represent sons of faith. We're, we're here because Jesus come through that line. So that makes us the sons of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He said, but they'll be cast out where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. I used to think, what in the world? How did they even get up to heaven if they go to, and they, you know, they're going to get cast out. What does that even mean? And what the Lord revealed to me is this. The sons of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob 
are people of faith. They were counted righteous. Abraham was counted righteous because he believed God. He just believed him. He didn't understand him, but he believed him and he did what God told him to do. When we have that much faith in God and we do what he tells us to do, I don't know how he's going to do it, but I know he's going to do it. I trust him. We're operating in faith. So when we operate in faith, we're in the kingdom. But when we're not operating in faith, we're sitting back and we're going, man, I don't know how that's happening. I want some of that, but I can't get in. I can't get in. I've got to get my mindset that, hey, I believe. I believe that's for me. I believe that I'm a child of God. I believe that I'm one of them. I believe that that, that that is for me too. And I have to just go in and believe God. Not believe in what I feel, but I'm going to believe God. So that I enter into the kingdom where there's not any weeping and gnashing of teeth. There's faith. All right. We'll wrap it up here. Uh, before we do, I want you to know something. God wants you to, be, to feel free to explore the kingdom. When God sent the Israelites across the Jordan River after 40 years of uh, wandering in the wilderness, and they went over, and Joshua and Caleb took that new generation in, God told them to go in and conquer the entire land. He then told them how far they could go. Well, we know the story that they went in and they conquered a lot of it, Two and a half tribes went back across the river and said, we've, we've done our duty. We're going to go over here and live. You guys handle the rest. Well, there was a lot of us that they didn't take. There was a lot of territory they didn't take. And that whole territory that God had said would be taken wasn't taken until David come along later. And David was a, uh, symbolically like Jesus. He was king of the kingdom, the physical kingdom. Jesus is the king of our kingdom. And he said, there's always more territory to explore. There's always more inside of you than what you realize. You have more potential than you ever dream of. You have more capacity than you can handle. Now, like what um, I think it was Steve Bowe said, he said, God's gift to you is more talent and ability than you'll ever develop in a lifetime. And our gift to God is to develop as much as that talent and ability as we can in our lifetime. What do you got in you that you haven't discovered yet? What reservoirs of greatness has God placed in you that he wants you to tap into and share with somebody? Ask God who you truly are. What's in me? Help me renew my mind and find out who, who I truly am. And when you do, you're exploring the kingdom. And you'll take ground. And you'll face giants. You'll face giants in there. You'll, you'll, you'll find some that's called envy. You'll find some that's called jealousy. You'll find some that's called self-doubt. You'll find some that's called fear. And you've got to face them. But you don't have to face them alone. You've got the Holy Spirit to help you take that giant out. But you can't take it out if you don't know it's there. And that's what keeps us from going on the inside is we fear our, our flaws. We fear our inadequacies. But you've got greatness in there. Each person in this room has the capacity that Jesus Christ had while he walked on the earth. You say, well, that's crazy. No, he made us one. He lives in you. His spirit is in you. And his spirit is eternal, everlasting with no limit. 
So explore the kingdom of God along with the Holy Spirit. Take out your giants. Find out who you truly are and live the abundant life. What do you think? You want to you live the abundant life? I mean, really, do you want to live the abundant life? Then you've got to go inside. You've got to find that those, those palaces that God's placed inside of you and take your giant out. 